Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast, Talking Truth. This is Dan Whitney, a.k.a. Larry the Cable Guy, or uh, Mater, whichever one. <laughs> and I'm here with my buddy Brian Clark. Brian, thanks for uh, being here again. Hey, glad to be here. Uh, Brian's awesome. We like to do this podcast. We like to uh, share Jesus with people. Um, uh, and and here, here's what we're doing, our season overview right now. Uh, this is season six. Are there any black sheep in your family? We're talking about black sheep. You might even be the black sheep. And if you are, you're in pretty good company because uh, there was a lot of very interesting characters that lived within the family of Jesus. But yet God still chose them to be a part of the ancestral line of Christ. So, uh, hey, uh, my wife is with us. She is awesome. Kara Whitney. Hi. The beautiful Kara Whitney. And I love having Kara uh, with us. Kara has four books out. She is awesome. She's been on a ton of my podcasts. People like us together with Brian. So this will be fantastic. But anyway, today we're going to talk about Tamar, the daughter-in-law. And uh, I'm going to let Brian take it from here. He's going to read a story, and then Kara and I are going to comment on it. And hopefully uh, you'll get something out of this. We love doing this. So. All right, so, hey, if God asks you to put together a team to change the world, who would you put on your team? You know, God has a habit of using the most unlikely people to accomplish his purpose. There are even times when God's choice not only surprises us, but shocks us, even sometimes offends our own sense of what is right. One way we see this is to study the family line of Jesus as recorded in Matthew. One of those surprises is a woman by the name of Tamar, and her story is found in Genesis 38. Jacob's family was a mess. Twelve sons from four different wives. He was deceived into marrying Leah, but he never really loved her. Leah, however, bore him four sons, with the youngest being named Judah. Judah was a troublemaker, moved away from home and married a Canaanite wife. Judah was a reckless, selfish man who lived by his desires. He had three sons, Ur, Onan, Shelah. Judah arranged for his oldest son to marry a woman by the name of Tamar. But Ur was exceedingly evil, so God took him out. In that ancient culture, it was the responsibility of the next son to father a child through his brother's wife, so that family line could receive the inheritance and continue forward. So Judah required that Onan father a child through Tamar. However, unknown to his father, Onan kept wasting his seed on the ground to prevent Tamar from conceiving a child. The reason for this was because Onan wanted the inheritance for his own family. The text tells us that God was displeased with Onan's actions, and he took his life too. Judah had now lost two sons and feared that if his youngest son had relations with Tamar, he too would die, so he sent Tamar back to her family. For Tamar to be sent back to her father after losing two husbands was to invite a lifetime of shame. Through no fault of her own, she was now considered both cursed and defiled. She should have been given to Judah's youngest son, but instead Judah sent her away. The tragedy was that his sons were the problem, but she would suffer the shame for their evil. 
Over time, Judah's wife died. He mourned the required time period, then decided to head off to a big party at Timnah and live it up a bit. Tamar received word that Judah would be traveling through town and disguised herself as a prostitute. As expected, Judah propositioned her, not realizing it was his daughter-in-law, for it was dark and she was wearing a veil. For payment, he agreed to essentially leave his driver's license and credit card with the prostitute until he could have a servant bring the agreed-upon payment of one goat. So Judah and Tamar had relations, and she conceived a child. About three months after Judah received word that his unmarried daughter-in-law played the harlot and was pregnant, he saw this as a chance to get rid of Tamar and ordered her to be brought back to him to be burned to death. When Tamar was brought before Judah, she revealed that the father of the child was the one to whom the driver's license and credit card belonged. In that moment, Judah realized that Tamar was the prostitute that he had met up with and that the child in her womb was actually his baby. Judah confessed that he had done evil sending her away and she was only trying to survive the evil his family had done to her. What a tragic and heartbreaking story. The last chapters of Genesis are all about Joseph. So we get to the end of the book of Genesis and are certain that the royal line of Jesus, the promised seed of Abraham, will pass through Isaac to Jacob to Joseph. However, much to our shock, we learn that the promised seed will actually flow through Judah and the child he fathered through his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Now, I'm sorry, what? When you read the royal genealogy of Jesus, sure enough, there is Judah listed with the son he fathered through his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Everything about that seems contrary to our sensibilities of right and wrong. I mean, really, how could this be? But then again, that's the point. Jesus didn't come to be the savior of the world because we're all such good boys and girls. He came because we're all sinners, misfits, and losers in need of a savior. These scandalous stories in the family line of Jesus remind us why he came. We all have stories, and our stories are messy. We are all sinners and fall short of God's standard. That's why we need a savior. The story of Judah and Tamar remind us that God has always been about the business of saving sinners and using the most unlikely people to change the world. I mean, maybe even someone like you. Let's bring in Dan and Kara. Let's talk about this. Well, how about that story to kick off a new season? It just goes to show you, you're never too far gone. You're never out of the reach of Christ, ever. I mean, these, these, this could be a story right out of the paper today. It, it really could be. I mean, this stuff, there's a lot of deviant, deviant stuff that happens. I mean, but it's just, to me, I'm glad those stories are in there. To me, it's a comfort because we all do a lot of dumb things and stupid things. And uh, you're, not, you're, just, you're, you're never out of his reach. You can always come back and you're never out of his reach. And he'll always, he'll, he, Jesus will always do something positive with your life no matter 
what happened. I mean, you're going to, obviously you have to pay the consequences of things that you've, decisions that you've made along the way, but that's not the end of it. You can always get back on the right path and Jesus will always, always, he's always there. Well, Tamar's a shady lady, but she's almost dealing with the circumstances she's been given because of the evil. The shocker is that this Judah is the guy. We just assume God uses really great people yeah. to do things. Yeah, it is a shock. It's it's uh, your heart goes out to Tamar. Yeah, she's just trying to survive. Right, and then she's got to be shady to do it. Yeah, and she's shamed and mm-hmm. and uh, cast aside through no fault of her own. And Judah kind of just goes on with his life. But you're right. Then you you get to the end of Genesis, and we're so sure it's got to be Joseph because Joseph is the good boy. He sure is. And we're, we're really quite shocked at really what, what some have called this unexpected grace, mm-hmm. that it's Judah and Tamar instead. So, so here's the question. What, why do you think, uh, or w- maybe better ask it differently, where do we get the idea? I was going to ask you that. Where do, what do you think? I think it's because that's how we view ourselves. That's how the world works. You know, if, if you're a good boy, a good girl, then you get all the benefits that come with that. And so we start to think God is like us, and the better you perform, the more God loves you, and the more God accepts you. And so we, we project that onto God, that God's like us, and I have to be a really good boy, or God won't love me, or God won't want me, or God can't use me. And that's just simply not what the Bible teaches. So we... so. Humanity kind of creates a God that they they want. Yeah, I think it's to me it's the world's operating system that everything's based on performance, and the better you perform, the more right. value you have. And then we just project that onto God, and we're convinced that's that's how God operates. So everybody that doesn't measure up, and that'd be pretty much all of us. Re- well, I feel think the condemnation. Yeah, of that. that's the thing. I mean, I can seem like a very good person when I'm comparing myself to somebody who's, you know, created mass murder or something. But then I think you really, you get to the crux of it when you really realize that you are the person that put Christ on the cross. I did the crime, and one day, uh, the day of my execution, a, the jail cell was opened, and, and a guard says, you can go home. What do you mean I can go home? because somebody else took that punishment for you. That is what Christ came to do. He came to save sinners, which we all are. So I, I find it refreshing when you read these stories in the Bible because everybody's pretty junky. I, I do love when he takes, I, when he's like, well, this guy's bad. How bad do you have to be for God to go, you're pretty bad, I'm going to take you out, right? <laughs> That's, this Ur yeah. guy, I mean, wow. Yeah. Bad. Yeah, real bad. Yeah. That's like getting kicked out of the Omen Brothers for drinking. <laughs> That's bad. That's really you know, bad. You, know, you got to be a really bad drinker to get kicked out of the Omen Brothers. Think about when you, like, when you read through the Gospels. Like, who... Who are the people that attacked and criticized Jesus, and who are the people that couldn't get enough of him, that flocked to him? And it's, it's a reminder. It was the religious crowd 
that thought somehow in their religion they merited all this favor with God. Right. And it was the sinners and the tax tax collectors, I speak for a living, (laughs) and and the prostitutes is all those people who had long since given up and believed they had no chance to ever stand right before God. But all of a sudden with the message of Jesus, they can't get enough of him because for the first time there was some measure of hope. Right. And they I, know they need him. I need him. They know him. they need him. And yeah. that's the huge problem today. My favorite conversions are people who are so filthy and then they realize, like they make that connection and all of a sudden, and, they, and they're the best because then they want to go out and tell everybody because it's a gift that's been given to you that you know you don't deserve it. You know that you're the one that's supposed to be punished for for all of that, but somebody is taking the execution for you and you and you just can't believe it. So what we've done today in our culture is convinced ourselves there's no such thing as absolute truth, so there's no absolute morality. So we redefine the standard. So who needs a savior if in my opinion I'm not so bad? And that's right. that's the big problem today. Is a lot of people have convinced themselves they're, they're not. I don't bad. need a savior. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll redefine morality that fits my lifestyle, and based on that, I'm as good as the next guy. Right. And and so, I don't need a savior. It doesn't. You can live like that for a while, but it's not a happy way to live because deep down, you know, you don't measure up. Yeah. I I mean that that's why I knew I didn't measure up. I didn't know what to do about it. And then I, I, I read the messy stories in the Bible. I read them, and when Christ was on the cross, and he looked down, and he asked his father, hey, forgive this guy. He, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And I was like, I'm that person. Like, there's hope for me. I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I knew, and boy, was I really smug and smart about it. And then one day I just, it's like that pride. I, I could, I, I have prideful moments. That's it's one of the things I struggle with. But thankfully that day I, I got to put that pride aside and actually listen to the gospel. And I accepted it. I'm so thankful for that. So messy stories in the line of Jesus, I'm telling you, it saved my life. Absolutely. I'm so glad it's true because nobody's going to make themselves look like trash. So it sounds like part of what you're saying, what you're both saying is the need to be honest. Right. You know, in the middle of the night when nobody else is looking, can you be honest that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior and that God has offered his salvation freely to those who will receive it? Because I, I, Kara, I think you're right. In the middle of the night when nobody else is there, people know they're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether they'll admit it or not, deep in their hearts that's where they're at and god offers the salvation they're looking for absolutely that's what what i said a long time ago it's like uh, when i rededicated my life it's like i had everything going on you know get back to your hotel room and last person leaves and you're just in that hotel room all by yourself a lot of stuff goes through your mind and you're like man it's not happy (laughs) you know there's a lot of yeah. yeah when jeff was on here it's like i I can say you can have everything the world offers and still be miserable, but people are like, how would you know that? You're just a preacher. But when you say it, 
or Jeff says it's it's like you really did have what the world has to offer. Well, and, and it didn't make you happy. Absolutely, and there's a lot of entertainers like that, but pride gets in the way, and they won't let anybody know that. But I'm telling you right now, when they're by themselves, there's some reflection going on. Um, so, you know, hopefully they'll uh, hopefully they'll do what me and Jeff did and find out what really makes us happy. You know, but for anybody that says the Old Testament isn't that important, I mean, the Old Testament is so important. Uh, and like some people, well, I got this new pocket dictionary. I got this New Testament pocket. They only read the New Testament. But, man, this just shows you how important the Old Testament is. I mean, it's all these stories of people that are just like the rest of humanity. And, uh, yeah, they'll change your life. Yep. You know that would have been a great ending, but hold on. Stop the presses. Brian, Kara, Paula, our fabulous producer, had her hand up, and I think she's got a question. This is unprecedented <laughs> on Talking Truth. It's only been me, Brian, and our guest, but now Paula is joining the crowd. All right, Paula. Um, I, you know, I'm listening to all of this, and I'm looking at three people that I'm guessing at some point in your lives, I mean, most Christians struggle to believe God could use them to do something special for him anyway. I'm looking at three people that I'm wondering, as you were kids, did you have any idea of how God would be using you now? I'd just love to hear your perspectives. And Carol, I want to start with you because you were just talking about um, not even believing that God could allow you into his family. And look what he's done. I mean, he's allowed you to write books for him. Mm -hmm. I'd just like to hear that's um, awesome, and thank. That's good questions. Thank you, Paula. And here, do you me stand a, right here, because and yeah. do me a favor. That was a great question, uh, but never come in the studio again. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. Well, <laughs> I'll stay behind the glass. I'll stay behind the glass. I mean, who do you think you are? I did not uh, grow up in a Christian home, so I mean, like I said, I struggled in my twenties with thinking that I was, I could have been created for evil. It was very confusing. And I won't name the denomination, but I remember one time asking a coworker about their church. So obviously I was feeling that there was a need for something and them saying, well, you can't come because you're not a member. And then just feeling that rejection again, that uh, I was too far gone and, and, I, and I blew it. Um, but then, you know, uh, as I said, I uh, realized that I wasn't too far gone, that I thought there was a place for me. And then I just researched who Jesus was, and, and I write about it, and I'll talk about it, and if anyone wants to know, I will give you my testimony and tell you how I came to the conclusion. It was years. Um, and then one day I just was like, um, God revealed, it was First Peter 5, 7, it was just cast your anxiety in me. I, I actually love you. I care for you. And so I just gave him my life, and... Um, and God is, he's, I'm so glad. I don't want it. Just, it's yours now, right? Um, but I will say this, for anyone who thinks that they aren't capable of working for God or just, you know, making an introduction, uh, I will tell you that I struggled with that. I think the biggest thing was, is because of my past. And it was a past of, um, I was as pagan as you could be. And um, also mocked God. So made fun of Christians over time because of that rejection. I just kept like, if you're going to reject me, then boy, I'm going to let you know what I feel about you. 
And as I was uh, writing that first book, and I've talked to Brian about it, and, um, you know, you just don't feel like you have anything to add. And there's a fear there because you worry about people coming out of the woodwork and going, that's not who you are. This is who you are. I know you. And when we talk about Rahab the prostitute, how you are, are identified by your past. And I was worried about that. But I'll quote Dan on this when he went and spoke at Liberty at that convocation. And if, if you want to look at this man's testimony, it's beautiful. Um, and, but he says, people won't forgive you, but Jesus does. Okay, so you're forgiven. And read your Bible every day. Uh, get that Go Tandem app and get in the Word. And I'm telling you, God will use you. He's going to give you these windows of opportunity to give your testimony, to talk to people, and fight through that fear because it's a, it's a beautiful thing. He wants to use you. L- look at Tamar, you know. And I'm guessing that, you know, you're an author now. You didn't expect that, but you probably don't even expect consider that the biggest thing that God has used you? No, I don't call myself an author. I call myself an evangelist. And two of the reasons I do that is because that's just one thing. Uh, Because these books are because I just want to tell people about Jesus and make that introduction. And that country life and horses is a good way people who are interested in that lifestyle, they might come to get that introduction through me talking about that lifestyle. So I don't consider myself an author. I consider myself an evangelist. And the reason I say that is because evangelist is sort of this dirty word now. And I actually wanted to call one of my books something with evangelism. And they wouldn't let me do it because they said, no, that word's bad. And I like to meet people and, and hear their life story and all that, and then tell them I'm an evangelist because I think it piques their curiosity because they have that impression about Christians or that that I used to have. And I'm familiar with that. I'm so familiar with that lifestyle, that world of unbelievers, that I just, for the most of the time, I get a pretty good read on people. And so that, I just, I don't consider myself that. I just want to tell people about Jesus. Well, you know, do we have time for another? I'm sorry. I get going. I, I, that's no, why I that didn't want to. that was fantastic. Don't uh, ever apologize for that. Listen, uh, same kind of thing, just in brief. Um, I grew, I, uh, unlike my wife, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, um, now, listen, not to throw my dad under the bus. I love my dad, but I'll be honest with you, he wasn't the best dad in the world. You know, he's a good preacher, but wasn't a very good dad. Um, so I had every reason in the world to not really care about doing anything Christian, anything Bible. You know, he was one of those guys that knew everything about the Bible, spoke he- Greek, Hebrew, could interpret, could pull up a verse out of nowhere. But he was also a person that could uh, uh, use the Bible to justify things that weren't correct. That could, You know what I mean? So, um, so I grew up like that. That's all been since, look, forgiven the whole thing. Uh, so I had every opportunity to just completely fall away from it. I really didn't completely fall away from it. I went to college. I wanted to be a baseball coach and a youth pastor because I loved my baseball coach and my youth pastor. Uh, I ended up getting into comedy. I was kind of wishy-washy on the fence, how I grew up. Well, then I got involved in showbiz. 
And uh, as I'm doing showbiz, this is amazing how God uses you. Uh, then I meet my wife. And my wife, you just heard her testimony, which made me go, what am I doing? What am I? This is why I'm not looking at this. This is what I want to get back to. So in turn, what God did for her, he did for me. And then instead of thinking, well, I missed the boat because I was going to a Christian school. I want to be a baseball coach. I want to be a youth pastor. I want to help these kids. Well, now instead of that. Uh, he gave me the talent for comedy. Uh, I think kind of the same with the Jeff story as well, or maybe Jim Brewer that was on the show. Uh, now that uh, we have found uh, the true, we are, we're back in the fold and we've rededicated our lives. Uh, now um, I have an even bigger platform than I probably ever would have had um, doing what I wanted to do. Instead of being a youth pastor and a, and a baseball coach, with kids that already know who Jesus is, now I have a platform of people that really don't know who he is. They're maybe searching for hope. Um, they're fans of mine. I have found this hope. This is a whole different, this goes back to the whole body of Christ. We all have different functions. The function I have now, because of my rededication and what happened to my wife it all one it's all it's how god worked through these families you take a situation and it weaves its way into everything so now um uh, i would have never thought in a million years i'd be doing a bible podcast never i this is going to ruin my career this is going to talking about jesus and telling it's going to ruin my career but you know what god wants me to do it and i enjoy doing it that's how I know it's real. That's how I know he's working in me. Because I like it. I like doing it. And I'll do more of them if they want to. If there's another show, I'll do another show. I like doing it. So that's amazing. That's what came out. That's what came out of my my growing up. This is this would be my. If I was in the Old Testament, that would be my story. You know that just. How everything in my life came together to take a person that kind of went down the wrong path and then not only did the path um, not kind of go that way, but not, uh, but it got bigger and better and gave me a, a, a bigger, gave me a bigger canvas. I'm dying to hear Brian's story because you didn't oh, think wow. when you were a kid you are going to be a pastor, right? Or... No, right. So I grew up in a really solid Christian home. Brian, we have um, 45 seconds. Okay. <laughs> I, I can do that. No. Uh, grew up in a, in a solid church but deeply embedded in the fundamentalist movement. So a lot of rigidity, a lot of legalism. And really never in a million years would have imagined myself as a pastor. And... Uh, Really, at one point, telling the the pastor who ended up becoming my pastoral mentor, uh, this is my perception of what a pastor is, and I could never be that. It's like just I want out, and basically convinced me to just be myself and trust God with the rest. So I've been a pastor for forty years, and uh, still, when I think about it, it's like it kind of makes me chuckle. And I can't tell you how many times over the years I've completely underwhelmed somebody. That's what we call it in our family. Because there's just nothing about me that's impressive. And it's like, how has God used me? I have no idea. But I've tried to be authentically me. The same me on stage as I am at home. 
and be obedient and the rest is up to God. So it's like, I think all our stories are different, but at the end of the day, can we trust God to keep his promise, to use us to do something to change the world if we're we're just willing to trust and to obey and to answer the call? And I think the answer is uh, yes, absolutely. Well, that's it for Talking Truth today. We'll see you uh, on the next episode. (laughs) Internet. Thanks for listening to Talking Truth. Dan, Brian, and Kara will be back next week with a look at another person in the family of Jesus. Her name was Rahab, and she was a prostitute of all things. How would God define her life, and how does he define yours? We'll talk about that next week. Until then, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on Talking Truth. Get her done.